still broadcasting from Southern California. This is Campus Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 40, Being Judgmental and Spiritual Death. went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom, he runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com. And we are at episode 40, and we're in December, um, which means we only have a few weeks left of the year. And tomorrow is actually Giving Tuesday. So if you're sitting there, you're looking at a uh, wad of cash at the year's end, and you're like, how can I help... Uh, Christian ministry. Um, you can head on over to campusreacher.com and find our link on how to uh, support uh, my open-air preaching, or you can go to crosspolitic.com and uh, subscribe to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and help what we're doing here, help us expand, uh, especially as we come into the new year. This is the first year where we've had multiple uh, podcasts and everything else, and so hopefully next year we'll continue to grow. I know our, our podcasts have done uh, pretty well this year, and hopefully next year they will grow, and you know after uh, having, you know, 45 of them under my belt. Hopefully I will be uh, growing and improving and uh, incorporating more of what's uh, going on in campus now that I'm, I feel like I'm starting to finally get my uh, feet under me. And so uh, in today's episode, what I want to talk about uh, is two things. One, spiritual death, which um, most of us are kind of familiar with the idea if we're kind of reformed-ish. And then the other thing is um, a brief interaction I have with a young woman about whether or not my preaching is being judgmental. And both these conversations took place within, you know, basically 20 minutes of each other because uh, I'm at the uh, uh, University of Mississippi, and it's probably September, maybe even October at this point. I don't remember when I was there. And uh, But what stood out to me was in my conversation with the young man when I referenced that he is spiritually dead, uh, just kind of look on his face. And he was kind of like, what, what do you mean I'm spiritually dead? And so you, you get to hear that conversation. And one of the difficulties, um, I, I probably mentioned this quite a bit, but um, so, so you have two levels uh, going on in this dialogue. You have uh, the first one is me finishing up my day, and you'll even hear me finish up my day um, with people about 15 feet away from me. So you cannot always hear him very well. And there weren't many people. This is the very end of the day, and there's maybe you know 15 people uh, gathered around, and so you can he- kind of hear him because you don't have like a big crowd of muffled sounds or anything like that, and the plaza was uh, fairly open. And then I wrap up, and then I have a discussion with a young woman, and you can hear her much better because um, people aren't at a distance at this point. And she just kind of asked me about being judgmental and stuff like that. And so I just think both of those uh, might be helpful dialogues and discussions uh, for people to hear, and especially because this even ties into years ago. I was actually laying out the Reformed faith to someone who was a non-believer, and as they were asking me questions, and I basically just said, yeah, it's up it's up to God to let you get to know him. And um, the next day he came up to me and just said, hey, last night I prayed to, uh, to ask God to let me know him. And so we have a tendency often to think that uh, some of our doctrines might scare people away or push people away. Um, but what I've often found is when we're fairly clear with things and we're gracious in them, it's like, you know, so, so the idea that people are dead in their sins and transgressions, it's not just so we can bash them and tell them that they're dead in their sins and transgressions, but we get to tell them that they're, well, yeah, you, of course you have no interest in God. You're spiritually dead. And um, you have to feel comfortable doing that because uh, I feel like oftentimes we, we feel this compulsion to be like, oh, my goodness, we have to generate interest in them. If they have no interest in God, um, 
what, what are we going to do? And well, the reality is they have no interest. They're, they're, they're dead. Our doctrine tells us that they're spiritually dead and um, God will use us. We're part of what God uses to uh, bring people to the faith and get provoke their interest into the faith and stuff like that. Um, but left to themselves, they are spiritually dead. So here's a clip with a young man who, um, you know, ba- basically lays out a little a little bit of why he's not really interested in Christianity. And what's interesting to me is he says at the very beginning, um, I was going to ask a question, uh, but after you get class soon, I just said, hey, make it quick. And he ended up being there for another 30, 40 minutes. So um, whether he skipped class or didn't really have class, um, who knows? But nonetheless, uh, we were able to get in a good conversation, and I believe he heard the gospel that day. So here's that interaction. Make it quick. Go ahead. Because I would say the nature of what it means to be a human being, faith shouldn't be thought of as a leap into the dark. Uh, faith is much more of an allegiance. So biblically speaking, when Jesus calls people to repent and believe, he's calling them to allegiance to his kingdom. And so what I'm calling people to do is what you need is to go from unbelief in God, lack of allegiance to God, and faith in Jesus Christ as king. So through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's now Lord of all, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth and mine, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. So I come out here with a simple message that God loves the world amidst all of your sin, your rebellion, your lying, your cheating, your pot smoking, your gossip slander. He loves you. The nature of sin is that the king must put down any insurrections against his kingdom, and yet his desire is to be reconciled with those who are part of the insurrection. So I'm saying, you guys, you know, the resistance, you know, so to speak, uh, anybody outside of Christ is the resistance I'm calling to repentance and faith in Jesus. Pledge your allegiance to Jesus. And he'll forgive you of all your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the only condition of being saved is faith in Jesus Christ, humbling yourself before him. And so, yeah, but, you're, but the primary issue, obviously, if you don't believe in God, you're going to disagree on just about every ethical issue with me. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in, you don't believe in the Christian God, but within that, you, I would say your conscience bears witness. You know lying's wrong. You don't need me to tell you that. You know your porn looking's wrong. That's why you clear your internet history. You don't need me to tell you that. Uh, now, what you might need is help getting out of it, but I come out here to preach a gospel that your conscience bears witness to your sinners. The way you're saved from God's justice against all of your sin is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where you find forgiveness of sins. So you need to be saved out of that condition into, the, into Jesus, who is the Messiah of the world. So, yeah, but I can't make anybody believe that message. All I can do... I'm just like Johnny Appleseed. I just. I'm sorry? Yeah. And I don't know if you grew up in the church. You're like, I don't know if I believe it anymore. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of norm. I mean, 20 years old, come to Ole Miss, attractive women, parties, things like that. Eh, Christianity's not all for all those things I want to do. So, yeah, you got to make a decision. Do I want to follow Jesus or not? And I just say. Mm-hmm. And it was more just like, I don't really feel like I need that presence in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, because you don't see yourself as a sinner. Well, I'll just say two things. Um, I'd encourage you to look at the resurrection. Did the resurrection happen? If the resurrection didn't happen... 
I'm just a hoot and hollering maniac out here, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If the resurrection did happen, everything's different. If Jesus really was the Son of God through his death, his burial, his resurrection, he's, he's uh, re resurrected, um, uh, then, you know, serve him, love him. But there's a certain sense, like, you don't need your parents anymore, probably. They might pay some of your bills, so you might need them for that. But for the most part, emotionally, you might. So, but I just say, well, what it means to be a child is to love your mom and dad, honor them, take care of them. Uh, so what it means to be a human being is to love God. So there's a certain sense, existentially, um, until you realize sin, you don't really need them. Uh, I would agree, Jesus said that, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as long as you're like, ah, I'm not that bad, of, yeah, you have no need for it. And, and that's the thing, and that's, that's kind of weird, like, and it's kind of hard, because I realize the Bible speaks of people being dead in their sins and transgressions. A dead man doesn't have too many needs. So if you're kind of like, I don't need that, I, I'm kind of like, yeah, Bible says you don't need it. You're dead, you know what I mean? You're spiritually dead. And so of course, you're not sitting there going, oh, I need, I need life, I need food, I need something to nourish me, because spiritually speaking, you're dead. And it's only God that can come along and kind of revive you and quicken you where you're kind of like, all right, I do need that. Yeah, you're spiritually, you have, it's like going to a morgue. If I was like, go, if I go to a morgue and say, hey, everybody, wake up. Yeah, well, spiritually, uh, well, in a relative sense, morally, that's spiritually dead, you have no life towards God. So spiritually speaking, uh, you have morals, but your morals are shaped. Are you raised in Mississippi? Yeah, you're 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 shaped by Christianity. Whether you acknowledge Christianity or not, you've been shaped by it. You've been shaped by the Western tradition and things like that. Um, and so you have a morality. I would say, but I would say two things. You have a morality, but I would ultimately say you can't account for that morality unless there's a God. So let's just say the state gives everybody here a hundred dollars in their pocket. So we all have a hundred dollars. And you ask me, where'd you get the hundred dollars? Like, oh, it was in my pocket. No, but where? How did it get in your pocket? I just have a hundred dollars. I'd say similarly with morality, everybody out here has morality. That's why I said earlier, you don't need a preacher to tell you about morality. Um, but if I ask, where'd you get that morality from? It's either from your culture or it's from your individual self. Whereas I'm saying, and if, if that's the case, I'm saying it's subjective and relative to your culture and to your individual self. And I'm out here to maintain that no, it actually transcends you. The reason you have a moral conscience is you're made in the image of God. The reason you know lying's wrong before the preacher shows up is because God is truth. The reason you know adultery is wrong before I show up is because God is faithful. The reason murder is wrong is because God is life. So morality is rooted in him, not 3.8 billion years of war, death, and famine has come higher forms of species. Uh, and now we just don't like lying, although we all lie. Um, we all don't like murder, although it's just the consequence of what it means. I mean, war, death, and famine is just, just what we got as evolutionary beings. There is no real difference between life and death. It's just self-replicating molecule came to life one day, and then there was war, death, and famine. No big deal. Famine's equal to plenty. Death is equal to life, if you're a Darwinist. But most of you, in one breath, are, but in your next breath, you aren't. So I agree, you don't need, and where you currently sit, you don't need God, because I would say you're spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says you're dead in your sins and transgressions. But for me personally, I was dead the first 17 years of my life, but God made me alive when I was 17 years old. When I was 17 years old, I had two events happen. I had a friend commit suicide, and then I was immoral. So when my friend committed suicide, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a good person. And the more I devoted myself to being good, the more I realized I'm not that good. Just, I mean... My mom and dad asked me to do the dishes. I can't do that without complaining. Mom and dad asked me to clean my room. Can't do that without complaining. I was dating this girl. The way I'd roll my eyes, turn my shoulder, get all huffy puffy, and just be like, all this stuff just became exceedingly sinful to me. So I started doing transcendental meditation, reading Islamic literature, reading the Bible. And after eight months, uh, from January to August, August of 1993, I was reading, uh, well, I had, I had two verses memorized, but this verse, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on the Christ because he cares for you. 
So I was lying in my bed August of 1993. I said, Lord, if you care for me, I'm done. I'm a sinner. But I didn't, I didn't realize I was a sinner prior to that previous eight months. I would have been like everybody out here, I'm not perfect, but I'm not really a sinner. But over that eight months, it just became exceedingly clear to me that I'm a sinner. That, that like the nature of what I do is to sin. And the more I want to stop sinning, the more I realize I can't stop sinning. I can't control my lust. I can't control my passions. I'm a sinner. And it was Jesus, his death, his burial, resurrection that made the most sense. So I'm just saying, prior to that point, I was spiritually dead. And then God began to do a work in me. I became alive. And I would hope and pray that God do a work in you where you became alive. There's a young woman I met earlier out here named Lydia. And in Acts chapter 16, there's a woman named Lydia. And it says that God opened uh, Lydia's heart to Paul's message. So all I can do is come out here and preach and hope and pray that God would open your heart to my message. But I can't make anybody believe today. All I can do is come out here, preach, and hope and pray that God be like, I'm going to change your heart. What's your name, by the way? Sean. So I'd hope and pray that one day there'd be writing a book, and God opened Sean's heart to Keith's message that day. Same message as Paul. But I can't make Sean believe. Can't make Nathan. Is that right? Nathan believe. Can't make anybody believe. All I can do is preach to you the gospel and hope and pray that God be pleased through this foolishness. The Bible calls this foolishness to change from people's hearts and minds. So doesn't seem to be the most effective way to do it. I'm always asking, is this effective? No idea. All I can do is come out here, preach. Hopefully, if you're a Christian, go back to the dorm, see the crazy guy in front of the student union, share the gospel with people. So, that's it. Yeah, no, you guys are great. I mean, I was at JMU a couple weeks ago. That place was, whew, you guys are uh, a pretty, pretty good lot. You guys are a pretty good lot, all in all. So, yeah, so consider your life, consider your way, students. Um, now, I'm going to be done with a public preaching. If you have any uh, questions, comments, demands, you want to talk one-on-one, I'll go ahead and talk to you one-on-one about anything I've said any particulars regarding Christianity and stuff like that. But as far as the public preaching, I'll wrap up. Sorry that you had to hear me drinking water there briefly in a couple uh, couple of little places. Um, yeah, it's me wetting the whistle while I'm preaching. So sorry you had to hear that. But um, yeah, I, I actually forgot that he started off the discussion by asking about, uh, you know, because earlier prior to that, I was being asked about homosexuality and kind of borrowing from Rosaria Butterfield, um, I've been making that issue primarily about you need to be saved from unbelief and uh, that, that homosexuality and that stuff is downstream uh, from your unbelief. And uh, so I was kind of laying that out with this young man named Nathan, and uh, this guy ends up asking me about being uh, saved from unbelief. And so uh, that was that dialogue. And then here's a discussion with a young uh, lady, and it's kind of interesting because she thinks I'm being judgmental, and she brings up a couple of examples that you know, aren't really what's taking place. And that's even one of the things, like, you know, I'm out there preaching and I'm moving. Uh, I think it was, I don't know if it's really Cicero, but I heard it was once Cicero that says uh, that the key to public oration is action, action, action. So I'm often moving around. And so perhaps I turned and said something to some women who were walking by holding hands to try to provoke me. I don't remember doing that in any way, shape, or form. And uh, this young woman bring it, brings it up. So anyway, th this is kind of a little bit depending on the context of how I go about answering uh, whether or not I'm being judgmental and how we as Christians, uh, a small flavor of how we as Christians are trying to walk the line between 1 Corinthians 5 that tells us to you know, basically excommunicate people inside the church, but not to be judgmental of those outside the church, um, and us trying to walk that line of preaching the gospel, because um, part of preaching the gospel must include uh, what the world, at the very least, is going to include as judgment. So here's that dialogue. How you doing? Are you setting up somewhere else to like talk to people? Or uh, I can slide off to the side or just sit here. So yeah, yeah, I usually just slide off to the side. Yeah. And, so. I 
came out here to kind of like just talk and discuss, kind of see where you're coming from, because I'm a Christian uh -huh. like, already. Okay. Um, but I know that you know, people that walk by and see you or hear you, they that changes their perception of Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is like the hypocrisy of it. So earlier you were talking about justice and love. Um, and then I saw you like go up to the side when there were two girls walking, holding hands and kind of yell at them and imply that they were guilty. I, I can 100% tell you I have not seen two girls holding hands oh. that I dressed in that way. Okay, well it seemed like it like, okay. when they were walking by. Um, but I was, and then when you were having the conversation with Nathan as well, mm -hmm. um, I just don't think that it's our place to judge. And I just wanted to see like where you were coming from. Yeah, I would say with respect to what? So I think as Christians, um, part of what we are called to do is to address sin in the culture. Right. Um, so Jesus says the world hates me because I testify what they do is evil. So part of what we have to do is testify that the works are evil. Um, and so even like in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, which is not a Jewish uh, you know, city, and he begins to reason with them, and he says, uh, God commands all men everywhere to repent. So the very nature of calling somebody to repent is insinuating that they need to change their mind about certain things. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think in one sense we have to. Um, uh, you know, if you vote, you make a judgment. I do or do not like Donald Trump. I do or do not like the Democrat or some third-party candidate. You make a judgment about who they are. Some guy asks you out, you have to make a judgment about his character and stuff like that. So judgments are inescapable. What the Bible calls us to do is to make a right judgment. And my judgment of an unbeliever is going to be different than a judgment of a Christian in this sense. So in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, you know, if someone claims to be a brother and they're a drunkard, they're an adulterer, blah, 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 have nothing to do with them. I'm not at all talking about those who are in the world. Um, I'm talking about someone who claims to be a Christian. So, um, so even uh, with Nathan, like, I have to address, like, if I get asked about homosexuality, uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm judging anybody, but I have to say, nope, I think it's sinful. Here's why it's sinful. Here's what scriptures lay out. Call people to repent of faith. There's grace for you. There's kindness. Same thing with the guy who claimed to be a Catholic who's up, uh, sex outside marriage sort of thing. Uh, you know, we're called to oppose those things and, uh, and address them. So uh, I think part of the responsibility as a preacher is to address sin, um, but also preach, point people back to the cross. And so, um, yeah, so I, would, I don't think anything I said today would be contrary to how they preach in the book of Acts uh, to unbelievers. Um, I'm open to, if I did, I'm open to correction, um, but I don't, I don't think uh, an, an unrighteous judgment was made. So like, yeah, just the idea of saying homosexuality is a sin, I don't think is a judgment per se. Um, as, but, you know, if I was like, oh, you're a homosexual, I won't have dinner with you. That, like, and they're an unbeliever, then that's a hypocritical judgment that the Bible would oppose. Um, but I think it's my responsibility. Like, for example, no one would care if I was out here saying racism's wrong. No one's like, he's judging the racist because that's an, that's culturally acceptable to condemn the racist. You know what I mean? And I would if I thought there was genuine race out here. I'd be like, racism's wrong. You know what I mean? If there was a Klansman or something like that, race, and no one's gonna be like, you're judging him. Stop. You know what I mean? So, so a lot of it, when I'm accused of judging, it's because I say something culturally that's a little bit like, yikes. Uh, like, and I know that's even like when I explain Nathan. Like, I don't spend a lot of time on the homosexual issue because I know I'm gonna get asked about it, right. and it's page 15 of my agenda. Um, on a 15-page agenda. So uh, it's not that pressing to me. There are a bunch of other issues, starting with who God is and his character. That's why I spent most of my day trying to lay out God and his character more so than even addressing moral issues. But ultimately, the gospel only makes sense if there's a moral universe that we violated and God loves us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if there is no moral universe and I can't say anything about morality, then there's never a chance to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. So, but yeah, but honestly, I 100% tell you that I did not notice any girl walking by. Yeah. 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 They, they were trying to get your attention. Uh huh. They saw you and then uh -huh. started holding hands to walk by. 
as I said, and nine out of ten times, I know it's. I won't even acknowledge because I know it's there to solely provoke me. And I'll, and I'll, if if I even if I was to acknowledge anyway, I'd be like, you two girls are kidding. If I was to say anything, because it's usually like some two frat boys are like, hey, you know what I mean, walking by, like let's grab hands, like they're gonna somehow shock me or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, no. I, and in general, my mo is not to point out any individual, and I would never point out any individual sin. Like that guy walking by, I want to be like, you're having sex outside of marriage. Once he says it, I'm willing to address it, but I'm never pointing out any individuals being like, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. Um, it's just not what I do. So, right. uh-huh. So, make sense? Yeah, and what's your name? No, it's Meredith. Meredith, nice to meet you. Are you involved with the Christian group here? Not here. Okay, okay. I have one back home. Okay, good. Yeah, we'll serve the Lord. Love That's okay. I'm not really looking. Good. God bless you, Meredith. Have a good day. So, I thought that's... Uh, Relatively funny that Meredith could see that two <laughs> girls are simply holding hands to try to get a rise out of the preacher. And if the preacher was to call him out, it's uh, really the preacher's fault. So uh, I, I think that's the sort of stuff you have to just realize that in the context of American Christianity, that's the sort of stuff that you're going to have to uh, contend with and people are going to misunderstand. So uh, I, I, like I said, I didn't call out any two girls, but in that context, if I did, I really don't think it would be that big of a deal because um, if Meredith is picking up that uh, they are there to provoke, uh, try to provoke me, then very obviously I think I'm going to be knowing that uh, they're trying to provoke me, stuff like that. But anyway, uh, I just hopefully those two little dialogues are helpful, point in a direction if you're getting into a discussion regarding being judgmental um, or even trying to provoke people uh, in the sense of not being afraid to say, no, you have no interest because you're spiritually dead. Do not be afraid to say that. Um, and oftentimes what you'll find is the Lord will use that to provoke people to faith. So, um, yeah, that's this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Campus Evangel, or you can email me, Keith, at CampusReacher.com uh, or Facebook, Keith Darrell. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can Cause the good God in heaven needs us so we're in the land